Can you imagine what it must have been like to be one of Christ's disciples, to live each day at the Lord's side, to watch his every move and learn directly from his example? Well, you may no longer need to imagine. This new book from Pastor John MacArthur, Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, is designed to put us right next to Christ to witness his life and his ministry day after day. As a follower of Christ, you can't hope for a closer walk. As a seeker of truth, you can't find a more absolute source. Christ is the fountainhead of all truth. His words, his ministry, his example, they mark our path and they ignite our faith. That's why we love our Bibles the way we do. That's what makes this new book so dynamic. It's also why you're watching this program, isn't it? You've turned to grace to you to hear truth. In a culture that insists truth is subjective, you want the undeniable, unassailable truth of God. And that's exactly what you're going to get today. As Pastor John MacArthur shines the light of God's Word on his favorite subject, God's Word. More specifically, the authority of truth. The world and perhaps a few churches won't like this message, but I think you will. What in the world makes us so embarrassed about the gospel? For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I want you to open your Bible as we turn to the Word of God tonight to the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John, the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. I have been somewhat restrained over the last few years in not preaching more from the Gospel of John because I've spent so much time working on the commentaries on the Gospel of John. The first volume, John 1 through 11. Uh, was completed about a year ago, and the second volume, John 12 to 21, completing the Gospel of John, uh, was just completed a few weeks ago. In fact, I have the final galley proofs on my desk and have been reading through for any final corrections. And it's such a stunning, stunning book. It is relentlessly exalting of the Lord Jesus Christ, and of course that makes it a very precious treasure to me. And so I want to steal away a little bit tonight into a portion of the Gospel of John, at least as a starting point, and that's the eighth chapter. And in particular, I want to draw you down to verse 43 through verse 45. There is a truth expressed here that I want to be a foundation for our thinking tonight. Jesus in this particular context is speaking to the Jews who are defending themselves as to their place with God because of their Jewish ancestry, their Abrahamic heritage. Jesus takes issue with that. He says this, verse 43, "'Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear My Word. You think you belong to God, you think you are children of Abraham, you are actually of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in Him. Whenever He speaks a lie, He speaks from His own nature or essence, for He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe Me. The world is divided into two people, two kinds of people, those who belong to the kingdom of Satan who are the children of the devil and those who belong to the kingdom of God who are the children of God. Those who are in the kingdom of Satan do not know the truth. Satan himself does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him whenever he speaks. He speaks from His own nature, He is a liar and the father of lies. On the other hand, I speak the truth. That draws the line boldly between truth and lies, truth and lies. This is a very important thing to affirm in the society of any time period, any culture because it is critical that if someone is to be saved from sin and escape hell and be brought to the glories of heaven, he or she must believe the truth. Anything that is not the truth is a lie. Everything God has said is true. Everything Satan says is a lie in one form or another. In light of this, it is a strange, strange thing that popular evangelicalism today seems to live with the biggest fear of all fears, and that is that somehow the world that belongs to Satan will not accept their message. And so we've got to soften that message. We have to make it something that is not threatening, that is not hard, that is not absolute, that is not narrow, that is not precise. The idea is to approach the Bible in a completely different way, a kind of a soft way and not be concerned at all about the interpretation of Scripture for that in itself is offensive. And yet, the Scripture is very clear that you are either a friend of God or a friend of the world. And friendship with the world, James 4.4 4 says, is enmity with God. This is one place where you have to pick your sides. You are for God, for Christ, for the gospel, and for the truth, or you are for the lie, for the devil. That is the line that is drawn biblically. There has always been, there always will be a fundamental, irreconcilable incompatibility between the truth and the lie, between the truth of God and the lie that dominates the world. You cannot have both. You cannot accommodate the Bible in some generic way 
to floating, changing, shifting, whimsical attitudes of people who live in the domain of Satan under the dominance of lies. In fact, Luke 6.26, Jesus said, "'Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets.'" It goes with the territory that if you believe the truth and preach the truth and preach it with authority, as we've been saying over the last several weeks, it will be rejected and resented. In John 15, 18 and 19, Jesus said, "'The world hates you because it hated Me.'" The world hates you because you're not of the world. I chose you out of the world. Again, there are only two kinds of people, those who are in the world and those who are in the kingdom of God, those who are under the headship of Satan, those who are under the headship of Christ, those who live in the lie and those who live in the truth. And they collide. There's no way around it. They collide. There is a fixed animosity between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, between the truth and the lie. Consequently, in the world there is naturally going to be contempt for the gospel, contempt for the truth. Jesus said in verse 43, you cannot hear My Word, meaning you cannot comprehend it, you cannot understand it, you cannot affirm it, you cannot believe it. You don't have capacity for that. Same as Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man understands not the things of God. They are foolishness to him because they are spiritually appraised, spiritually discerned. And the natural man is spiritually dead. In John chapter 3, in that familiar chapter in verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, "'This is the judgment that the light is come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. If you live in the truth, if you live the truth, you run to the truth. If you live in darkness, and you live in death and you live in the kingdom of Satan, you resent the truth, you resist the truth, you hate the truth, you cannot accept the truth, you cannot believe the truth. This is the foundational way to view the world. And you cannot be faithful to the Word of God and somehow mitigate that. Now we have been talking about how important it is to preach the Word. That was our theme the last couple of weeks. The week before that, we reminded ourselves of Titus 2.15 where we are instructed to speak the truth with all authority, with all authority. And I want to reemphasize tonight a, a, a way to view that, if you will, a paradigm to borrow a modern world, a word that will help you think it through. Here's a way to understand how we relate to the truth. I put this in a book some years ago called Why One Way. Why One Way, a little book of about seventy-five or eighty pages, uh, might be maybe the most important foundational thing that I've ever put in print. 
there is a way to understand how critical the truth is to us and to all people. By the way, the only time the church makes any real impact on the world is when the people of God stand firm for the truth. 1 Timothy 3 tells us the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. If it is anything, it is the place where the truth is firmly established. We understand that the natural man does not understand it. We realize that the world resents it and hates it and thinks it's narrow. That doesn't change the fact that it is the truth. It is the truth. And again I say, the church has only advanced genuinely the true church when it has been uncompromisingly committed to the truth. I know postmodernism says there is no truth, moral relativism says there is no authority, personal freedom says there are no rules, humanistic atheism says there is no judge, but the Bible disagrees with all of that. There is truth. That truth has authority, that truth is articulated in the law of God, and God Himself is the judge. So let me give you a way to think about truth. I'll give you six words, okay? Six words. First one is objectivity. Objectivity. When we say something is objective, we mean it is outside of ourselves. When we say something is subjective, we mean it is inside of ourselves. When we say something is subjective, it means that it has come up from within us. When we say it's objective, it means that we can only observe it outside of us. We start then with the reality that the source of truth is objective. Luther called it the external word. This is critically important if you are to have a true Christian worldview. You must understand that the truth of God is completely outside of us. It's outside of all of us. It's outside of each of us individually, and it's outside of all of us collectively. It is fixed. In fact, it is unassailable and it is eternal. You can't change it. You can accept it or you can reject it. You cannot alter it. It is unalterable. This is profoundly essential. So ministers and preachers and Christians, we are brokers, if you will, of the truth transmitted by God in one book, and this is it. We may discover the truth, we must. We must learn the truth, we must understand the truth, we must love the truth, guard the truth, and proclaim the truth and live the truth, but the truth itself is outside of us. We are not its source. We make no contribution to the truth. Authentic Christianity understands that the Scripture and the Bible is objective. It is absolute divine truth. No person has ever had in himself any idea or any experience or any thought or any intuition that determines the truth. The truth is already determined by God and revealed in Scripture.
No human individually, no humans collectively are sources for establishing the truth. Neither is any angelic being a source for establishing the truth. That's why Paul says, if anyone, anyone, even an angel from heaven teaches you anything other than this truth, let him be cursed. What someone thinks is true does not make it true. And there's so much of that folly floating around that you can, by your own ideas and by your own will and even by your own words, create reality. That is not true. There is no such thing as personal truth, individual truth. Scripture is God's revealed truth. If you never lived and I never lived, it would have no bearing on the truth. It is true, Scripture is, it is perspicuous, meaning it is clear. The meaning is evident on the face of it. There are no puzzles hidden in Scripture. There are no secret codes in Scripture. It is not truth concealed, it is truth revealed. Sure, there are some things hard to understand. Sure, you got to dig a little to get to those things, but it is revelation, not obfuscation. The message of Scripture is clear and unambiguous, and it is not existential. You don't create it by your own ideas and your own intuition. None of it comes by the will of man. Second Peter 1, Scripture comes not by the will of man, but men were moved by the Holy Spirit to write it down. All Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, as we saw in our last little series, all Scripture is given by inspiration from God. Scripture is God's truth whether it affects anybody or nobody. It is God's truth whether you agree with it or disagree with it, like it or don't like it. And the worst possible statement, like fingernails down a blackboard for me to hear is, well, this is what the Bible means to me. And I want to say kindly, really, I couldn't care less what the Bible means to you since you are not the determiner of its truth. Again and again, Scripture makes claims for itself as we just read. It endures forever. It is trustworthy in every jot and tittle. It is unchanging and eternal, Isaiah 40, verse 8. Heaven and earth will pass away, My words will by no means pass away, Matthew 24, 35, said Jesus. Authentic, genuine, true Christianity has always held that Scripture is absolute, objective truth. It is true for one person. It is true for another person, it is true for all people, and it is the same truth. Our opinions, our spiritual experiences, and our feelings have no bearing on its true meaning. It is not a clay model to be shaped into any form by anyone who wants to shape it. That is why I will confess to you. There are lots of things that dishonor the Lord that bother me. The zeal for His house eats me up, I confess to you that. Um, I am angered, I am saddened, I am grieved about a lot of things that 
that are carried on in the name of Christ that I know bring dishonor to Him, but nothing, nothing is worse to me than a misrepresentation of the truth. That's inexcusable. And it is constant, even in the name of Christianity. Truth of Scripture is not decided by your insight or mine or your experience or mine. What it does for us or in us or to us or how it affects us has nothing to do with its actual meaning. And frankly, just saying that, you would deal a blow to about eighty percent of what parades itself as evangelical Christianity. So many people open a Bible and then they're being taught, listen for the voice of God and try to hear what God is saying to you through this Bible. I'll tell you what He's saying to you through the Bible. Put your head down, look at the words and read them. That's what He's saying. Biblical truth is objective. It is true in and of itself. It is true whether you know it or don't know it. It is true whether you understand it or don't understand it. It is true whether it's been experienced by you or not experienced. It is wholly true. It is true entirely. Psalm 119, 160 says, "...the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever." The proof of the truthfulness of Scripture is its everlasting character. This is the very starting point and the necessary foundation for a Christian worldview. You give up anything on this ground and you've just given up truly Christian worldview. Give up any ground on the fact that the Bible itself is the revealed truth of God, objective, external absolute, give up any ground at that point, and what you have left is not worthy to be called Christianity. Even if it has vestiges of Christian lingo and symbolism. In fact, many who would call themselves Christians today are using the language of Christianity, the symbolism of Christianity, but their real source of authority is something inside of them or something inside someone else that they think is a prophet or a seer or someone in touch with God. True Christianity begins with objective truth, everything God has revealed in one book, that is the Bible. Second word. First word, objectivity. You want a Christian worldview? Here's your second word, rationality. Rationality. This is good news, folks. This is good news. The objective revelation of God in Scripture is to be understood rationally, rationally. Through the years I've read so much about listen for the voice of God, listen for God to speak in your mind, listen for God to speak in your heart and show you what He wants you to do and show you the meaning of Scripture, etc., etc. That is mystical, that is irrational. I don't even know what they're listening for. Sometimes they're told to take everything and empty it out of their mind, a kind of Buddhist experience, create a vacuum of nothingness in your mind and let God fill it with some mystical revelation of Himself unique to you. This fails to understand that an objective revelation of God is to be understood rationally. What do I mean by that? By normal reasoning, normal mental faculties. 
I don't think it would surprise any of you in the church here if you uh, were to ask me uh, how do you uh, how you come up with your sermons to find out that I do nothing mystical. I don't light candles. I don't put incense in the room to create some some spiritual aroma as some do. I don't turn out the lights and try to empty my mind so God can deposit something there. I go to work. I go to work to work hard to understand the Scripture. Scripture is logical because God is logical. Scripture is non-contradictory because God is non-contradictory. Scripture is clear because God is clear. There are no errors, no discrepancies, no lies, no unsound truths, no fantasies, no absurdities, no inconsistencies, no myths. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is true, and it is to be understood by normal mental powers. We all remember 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved of God, a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is a mental exercise, not a mystical one. Remember the great revival in Nehemiah chapter 8 when they brought the Scripture and they read the Scripture for most of the day? And it says that after they read it, they gave the sense of it, and the people understood it, and they repented, and a great revival broke out. And that, of course, was led by, by Ezra himself, who gave himself to study the Scripture and to do it, and then to teach it. Scripture is understood by the process of reason in the same way you would solve a math problem. In the same way you would solve a science problem, in the same way you would solve any issue, the same way you would deal with an engineering problem or any other problem that you're trying to solve, you put your brain in gear. You're not going to solve a math problem in your calculus class by lighting candles, turning on the incense and hoping something comes down out of the sky. You're not going to understand the Bible that way either. And of course, the meaning of the Scripture, and I tell preachers this all the time, the meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. The meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. Scripture meaning the, the writings from God. The meaning is the Scripture. If you don't have the meaning, you don't have the Scripture. If you don't know what it means, you haven't heard God. The meaning of the Scripture is the Scripture. And the worst thing you can do is take it and abuse it and make it mean what you've already predetermined you want it to mean to fit your scheme. The truth is in the meaning. The truth is in the interpretation of the words themselves. It doesn't get much more straightforward than that, does it? The meaning of Scripture is the Scripture. There is no other source of absolute truth, and that truth all points to the same direction, to Jesus Christ. His life, death, and resurrection are the climax of divine revelation. Now, that said, let me remind you to call now for your copy of John's life-changing daily devotional, daily readings from the life of Christ. 
Seat yourself at the feet of our Lord. Walk with him from Galilee through Samaria into Jerusalem. To order a copy, call us today at 888-57-GRACE. Our operators are looking forward to meeting you. Until next time, may God continue to pour out his grace to you.